Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you've been lucky enough to tune into yet another episode, episode 411 of the Church Planner Podcast. It's as if we've been doing this for a while now. For 410 episodes. 411. Like, can you, that's just a lot. It's unthinkable. There was a time when I would not let a week go by without us doing a podcast. Like it would bug me if, if you couldn't do it. I'd be like, all right, I got to get Tyrone. I got to get somebody. We got to do a podcast. It's got to be every week. And now you're like, hey, I got to take three weeks off. Eh, three weeks. Sweet. Forget it. Who needs to do the podcast? Hey, they got 410 other episodes. And let's be honest, Pete. Our podcast is so good that people could listen to it more than once. Well, I've listened to it more than once. Yeah. Every it episode. is weird listening to our podcast. I do have to say that's a... I laugh just as hard the second time when I listen to it as I did the first time. It's a different experience when you're not in it doing it at that moment. Like, I don't feel like I ever really hear the podcast. I mean, I'm in it. I'm, you know, like, like Pee Wee Herman says. Uh, yeah, on, you uh, don't pay attention to me. It. I can tell you don't pay attention to anything I say. I do. I do, Pete. I do. That hurts. That hurts my heart when you say that. Well, I just speak truth. I'm the truth. I'm the truth teller. Yes, yes, and I can't handle the truth. I think Jack Nicholson has sorted me out on that. But you know what? Here, here's the thing: is when I listen to it, I actually go her podcast because I don't know if you do this, Pete. I think to myself, and I, I've always felt this about anything I do. I read a book, like when I write a book. Did you know I wrote a textbook? I, I did not. You were please, waiting for that. Could huh? you please tell us about this <laughs> supposed textbook? It's called Church Plantology. You can get it on Amazon now. But um, anyways, actually, you can pre-order it. It's only like four months and it's out. So anyways, but um, I once read a quote about Lloyd-Jones. That he said, I wouldn't cross the street to hear myself preach. And I have always related to that. When I write a book, I'm ashamed of it. I feel it sucks. I feel it's terrible. Um, I, I don't, I don't. And then I'll go back. Like we started on my other podcast. Sorry, Pete. There's another woman. Uh, it's called Ministry Ninja. I do it with my wife and Barry Waters. They're both my co-hosts on there. And uh, where'd you go? Are you crying? I believe in you. <laughs> Talk to the avatar. Talk to the avatar. But, you know, uh, the, the whole thing is that, um, the, the same with this podcast. Like I think, oh, it's, it's not a, you know, like I'll look at other podcasts. And I'll be like, you know, that's actually a church planner podcast. Like they get right into it. Okay. They, they might be square. You know, it might be like, 
you know, like they're like, okay, we're going to talk about church planning, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think of them as kind of nerdy. I, I do as part of my arrogance, but um, I, and maybe they are a little nerdy in fairness, right? But their podcast, you know, it's what's on the label. It's a church planner podcast. I always feel like for us, it's a bad news bears of podcasts. Um, funny enough, I found myself thinking of Ed Stetzer again. And obviously, you know, you're just a couple of guys sitting in mama's basement, drinking beers and doing a podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you're not that far off. We're not in mama's basement. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm in my own garage. Hey, but, uh, Phil um, Yancey, Philip. Okay, Phil. Oh gosh. Oh, I forgot all about that. What we could do with Chuck. Hey, Chuck Swindoll just lost his wife. His wife passed, dude. Oh, did she? Wow. I love Chuck Swindoll, man. I posted him last week. Yeah. But anyways, when I go back and I listen to the podcast, I always kind of go, um, man, uh, our podcast is all right. You know, this is actually pretty good. And I'm shocked. It's, it's all right. It's not great. It's all right. <laughs> it's not the church planner. Church planner podcast planners deserve. It's a podcast, podcast they need. Need. Oh, I miss Batman. And Batman used to come on. Oh, yeah. I miss him. Yeah, that was that a good was, intro. That was a different sound setup. Dude, I'm looking on our church planner magazine page and it's not on here. Do you remember when I took a screenshot of all of the the people, how they had rated our podcast? And there were like two people. Oh, who you gave circled us, one dude and said, not a planner. Yeah. Failed church planner because he <laughs> yeah. gave us like two stars. And then someone else gave us like one or two stars. And I'm like, he never started. <laughs> like all the rest were good. Do you remember one of those guys wrote us and goes, actually, you're right. I was a filter. Do you remember that? One of the guys wrote. I remember he wrote in and he goes, I didn't like it at first and I regret my post, you know, and then we're like, we have a convert. (laughs) He's like, now I live for the smack talk. Oh man. We're like, we converted one. That's all we do. (laughs) That just lets us know that there's, there's a market for what we do. It's a, you know, my favorite podcasts are this, um, like people do rapid fire questions, you know, things like Pete, you know, um, would you rather, you know, and they'll have these rapid, I love that stuff. And it's just pure comical, makes no sense, doesn't count for anything. But, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm doing stupid things like I am around my house right now. Um, I chopped a huge amount of wood and uh, put a gate on one of my Did you feel like a lumberjack when you did that? You're like, hey, hey, chop some wood. I, oh, you better believe Please tell it. me you had a flannel shirt on. Please tell me you had a no, flannel shirt on. No, it was hot. Dude, but I posted, I posted the, uh, I got friends cause I lived in Europe. I got friends like all over Europe and one of my buddies from Holland and uh, I posted cause I'm getting ready to dig all those huge channels again. I got a laid water pipe, like all around the West side and North side of my house. And, uh, so I'm getting ready to do that. And I'm, I was just looking at the pictures and it came up on my van. I'm like, man, I, if I cut that today, I would forget so many of those pipes. I got to call 888 dig. And have them come out because I forgot where most of those pipes were. I'm looking at the pictures going, I would have destroyed that. I would have destroyed that. Yeah, there's a gas line there. But at the end of the day, I'm getting ready to do it again. And my buddy in Holland, he, I had forgotten when I posted that I said, you know, even finish the job in my chonies. And you guys have to understand, I had to dig nine feet for my gas line. And I rerouted both my gas line and I moved my power to my house underground. And yeah, man, like I cut in front of my house with a, con- you know, cement cutter because they told me how much that would be. I'm like, screw that. I ain't paying that. So I just went and got a concrete cutter at, you know, the, the, the heavy equipment rental. And it uh, totally just, sounds like something I would do. Wait, how much is that? Oh, no, I'm doing it myself. Oh, man. It's so missionary. It's, it's such a missionary. Oh, it costs how much? No way. You know, it's kind of like our conversation via text yesterday when I'm like, yeah, this is how much the, the thing's going to cost. The operation's going to cost. You're like, Hey, I can do it for 10 grand. <laughs> well, it's funny because you have to have specially licensed people do this stuff. Right. And so I'm standing there with the guy and I go, how much is that? And he goes, well, and I said, but how hard can it be? Really? I just got to cut the sidewalk up. Yeah. But you got to have a special permit. How much does that cost? Well, it costs this much. And then I got to sign off and I'm like, but really all I got to do is cut the concrete, huh? <laughs> he goes, but you shouldn't. <laughs> he, could, he knew exactly where I was going, but I'm like, but if I did, how much trouble would I get into? And he's like, oh, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm None. Gonna, you know so, but, yeah. 
Stupid government. Government thinks they can control every part of our lives. No, you can't collect rainwater. Apparently, hey, uh, you can now. Hey, uh, you want to get married? Uh, pay us a tax. Oh, hey, uh, uh, you want to buy a car? Pay us a tax. Okay, oh, hey, so wanna... I voted. Hey, I too. voted mail-in ballot because I'll be in Orlando, right? Uh, I vote twice. <laughs> I vote for me and Jamie. That's right. So I just have to know, have her sign off on it. So So I voted. I don't have the sticker on because they're lame. Um, it's the stupidest thing. I voted a sticker. Like, good for you. Um, that's like the sticker you put on your car that's like, my child's an honor student. I want to have a sticker that says, I beat you up when you voted, right? Like, okay, I have latent rage issues. But, you know, besides that, like those stickers bug me. That's great. Um, I want voted, a sticker that says, I didn't vote for your guy. Oh, it's great. And just leave it like that. Yeah. I voted for me. I'm antisocial this morning. I'm having issues. But uh, but anyways, that said, um, I noticed, Pete, that everything on the San Diego County ballot was, um, and, and I guess a lot of it state, there's, there's San Diego. The San Diego County ballot was to do with um, raising the, the pay of all of the people and making it able that they could retroactively give themselves a pay raise for all the years that they weren't legally allowed to. I'm like, Oh heck no. And the way it was worded was very clever. It was put in a question mark. So if you, Oh no, I'm not for that. It, you were actually voting for it. If you put no, That's and it evil. didn't tell you that you had That's to evil. go dude. So evil. And, and then I'm thinking, Almost everything, because, you know, you have the same one. Almost everything in California was about raising property taxes. And the two that, you know, uh, there was one that was, let's make, um, let's make it so that people that are landlords can't make any money at all, but property taxes will go through the roof for everybody. And I was like, you know, that's interesting. The government wants to make it so that you can't make more money. Same, same with the Uber, like reversing that one. You know, I was happy to, I'll tell you how I voted. I was happy to help contractors because I was a contractor and I work for a nonprofit. Well, it was, it's so crazy. California basically got rid of all independent contractors. You have to be an employee. I was a contractor when that went through and I run a nonprofit where they're like, Hey, you can't 1099 anyone anymore. I was like, well, I got to let you guys go because we can't afford to pay you full time. So well, it doesn't even have to be full time, but just the fact that you got to pay payroll taxes, which as an independent contractor, that's how I get my money. Um, and by the way, there is a way around it. The way around it is you make all of them incorporate and you pay their corporation. Yeah. Oh, nice. And, um, but as an independent contractor, I got to pay both sides of payroll taxes, right? Because that's, that's what being self-employed is. You got to pay both sides. So, wow, crazy. But yeah, no, um, California is just out of its freaking mind. Of course, that's, that's what I say on the, the From Concealment podcast pretty much every week. I'm like, this state is just out of its mind. It's crazy. But hey, on to non political things, on to more things about Pete, because let's face it, that's all I well, really I, I did want to hear you because I was angry. I did actually want to hear you bag about. Property taxes. Why am I getting property taxes on? Do you know how much in property taxes I pay? But but wait, wait. I pay income tax. They've already taxed me. Why are they now taxing me on what I pay on my property? Right. It's double taxation. It's immoral. Dude. Well, it's way more than double taxation. You get taxed on what you earn. You get taxed when you spend it. You get taxed when you save it. You get taxed when you die. It's already been taxed. And then it gets taxed again and goes to your heirs. Uh, you got property taxes, and we can't balance the budget. Like people think that taxes were around from the beginning, they weren't. And then they go, "Well, who's going to take care of the roads?" Well, look, with as much as we pay in taxes, we should be driving on paved golden yeah, roads. That's true. They're well, not look, using the money for the roads. This podcast comes out a day before the election. Do you want to give your election prediction? I think Trump's winning. I do too. I I, I um. I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Biden either. I did vote third party. Uh, I voted third party twice. <laughs> did you vote that? Uh, what's like a Joe something or? It's a chick. Joe. Oh. Joe Jorgensen. Oh, is it? It's a yeah. chick? It's a chick. Oh. 
Um, and I don't agree with her on a lot of different issues, but I just voted for her because I didn't want to write somebody in and I wasn't voting for either one of those two idiots running. Well, so. you know, uh, I, my, my, what's your reasoning for thinking Trump's going to win? I'll give you mine. Uh, because the uh, swing states, like everyone goes, oh, nationally. Yeah. I don't care what the national polls are saying. That's we have the electoral college. The national polls don't matter. Neither does the popular vote. What matters is the electoral college. And I think he's taken the swing states. I think there are a lot of people in those swing states who are sick and tired of being called racist and everything else because they prefer Trump over Biden. So I don't think they answer those calls when the pollsters call. I think it's uh, just a case again of Hillary and Trump. And people are just like, look, I'm not taking that call. I'm not answering, but yeah, that's who I'm voting for. And I think that's what we're going to see play out. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, I just think it's the economy. I think the economy is the most uh, powerful motivator for people to vote. And I think in the swing states, that's what they typically vote on is the economy. True. And I mean, most of the people who lost their jobs over COVID would have voted Democratic anyway. Yeah. So it didn't really influence them. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. so that's my prediction. Um, I and, think and, I think we're going to see a lot of rioting. Oh yeah, in the coming oh, weeks. Yeah. Like yeah, it's it's going to no matter which way it goes, it's going to be dirty. It's going to be bloody. It'll be dirty. It'll be bloody if it goes towards Trump. I don't think the uh, the conservative side is nearly as destructive. Like they're not nearly as destructive as BLM or Antifa or any group like that. So right. I don't think I don't think they're going to go off, but right. the other side absolutely is going to go off. Right, Trump Trump takes it. Yep, I think you're right, my friend. I'm going to be sleeping with uh, Mrs. Jones, as I like to call her. It's my AR-15. Uh, she's going to be in the bed with me. I was going to say, I think I'm going to be sleeping with Mrs. Jones. Well, you sleep with a different Miss Jones. <laughs> Got me. I was going to say, we might need to clarify something here. It was funny. We were. Uh, uh, I was at this one urban rifle training. And before we got started, you know, we were all going around and the instructor's like, I want you to introduce yourself and then tell us uh, about your, your weapon that you brought. If you have a name for your weapon. So everyone's like, uh, this is Cleopatra. This is so-and-so. And then it came to me and I'm like, this is Mrs. Jones. Cause me and her got a thing going on. <laughs> you did not. Did. did anyone say, say hello to my little friend? No. That's no. the line everyone's got to say, right? That's that's a good one, but no, no one said that. Just my noisy cricket. Um, yeah. I, oh man, that would be fun. But uh, but hey, uh, anyway, uh, on to me. Oh oh, did anyone say this is my boomstick? Oh, that would have been good. Oh come on, that would have been Ash really really hardware. good. Oh come on, yeah. Yeah, no this one said that. This is my boomstick. Listen up, you medieval heathen savages. Shop smart. Shop S-smart. <laughs> all right. All right. Back wow. to you. Back to you, Pete. Did we find another movie that we both like? I'm oh, kinda, yes, we did, Pete. I'm kind of in awe here. But you said you love me. We got a puppy. We gotta, I got to let the world know we got a puppy. Yes. A Doberman. No, it's not a Doberman. Sorry. A charcoal baby Yoda. That's what she looks like. She's she's actually really black. She's not like depending on the lighting. When I take the picture, she kind of looks a little charcoal, but she's black. Okay, all right. But she's cute, man. Oh my gosh, is she cute? Those eyes. Yeah, they said she was eight weeks. I don't think she's eight weeks. I think at this point she might be six and a half weeks. Wow. I think she was a little bit younger than they thought because they they picked up this litter from Tijuana, wow. and. Um, She's cute, man. She looks like a little mogwai. You know, she got a little ears going on the side. So whatever you do, don't get her wet and don't feed her after midnight, no matter how, how many times. She's going to grow into a big old gremlin for sure. She's yeah. a little toothy, uh, she's bitey to, thing. I don't know what she's mixed with. She's a pit bull mix. And I was joking with Jamie the other day. I'm like, is she like a mix with a chihuahua? This thing is tiny. <laughs> But dude, she she is beautiful though. I mean, she is a really beautiful. Like I've fallen in love with my dog, my Doberman. You know, I'm into my Doberman. It's like my it's like Pete Mitchell's charger. Dude, his so underwear. are your kids. All these pictures you guys post and the dogs like laying all over your kids. I'm like that dog is spoiled. Dude, she's hurting the old dog though. It's really sad. Like we have to separate them. She's just playing. She's just being a puppy. But she's like a ninja, dude. She comes flying through the air and jumps on, the, and the other one's all limping and. 
Oh. Like, yeah, you know, she's, and she's not even full grown. People keep going, dude, that dog's big. She's getting bigger. She's like that, that goldfish book you had when you were a kid and he has to move it from like the sink to the bathtub, finally to the swimming pool. That's his dog, man. We keep feeding her and she keeps getting bigger. Mm. Yeah. What's the dog's name, by the way? Zoe. Zoe Bowie. Our kids named her. Like before David Bowie. Luke was like, I think we should call her Zoe. And McKenzie's like, yeah, Zoe. And I'm like, uh, 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 what? What? Zoe. Zoe's a good name. David Bowie named his kid that. Uh, Lenny Kravitz named his daughter that. The first night we had her. So we got her on Saturday. And you know how dogs are when they're puppies. Like they're crying all night long. Dogs be tripping. So we'd, we'd put her in a, a little cage in the, the kitchen and it kept waking Jamie up like all oh, night long. Those are tough nights with puppies. So Sunday, Jamie was miserable to be around. Like oh. she was tired. I whispered that on the podcast. I think she's right behind me. That way me. The inter- only half the internet heard it. <laughs> I think she's right behind me. So rad. And uh, so then what we did is we started moving her out here to my office. And so now we just leave her out here. And we're like, you can cry out here. We don't care. <laughs> we can sleep. We're on the other side of the house. And our kids are pretty sound sleepers. So once they're asleep, they're good. But uh, yeah, dude, we're, we're a dog family. So it was rough that month. Yeah, not dude, having a dog. Man. Yeah, we love it too. I, um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny cause we didn't want our last dog. I know that's terrible, but she was a stray and some kids were using, apparently some kids, she had gotten away. They said that she was being bred for fighting, um, because of the marks on her, um, mm. of abuse. And then, uh, some kids were tormenting her. Um, they were shaving her and crap and doing all kinds of crap. So we, we grabbed her and she was a great dog, but she's half lab, half Staffordshire pit. So, um, she's got that crazy lockjaw, but the staff part of her makes her all dopey and, you know, kind of, you know how like they mope, she, she mopes a lot. And, uh, all I know is your dog. I always thought was so beautiful, like her coat, her hair. I was like, man, yeah, that is a good looking little puppy. She's got that ridge on her skull like a pit, but she's she's kind of shorter to the ground. But anyways, she's 13, man. But you know, we we didn't we didn't want her at the time, but we took her because she needed a home. You know, we one of the places we were planting was a rough council estate, and the planter found her and goes, Hey, is one of the guys I trained up. He used to live with me, and he's like, Hey, do you want this dog? And we're like, no, no, because our other dog had just died. And, uh, but we took her and, you know, but this dog I wanted, you know, this new one. So it's kind of, I'm into it, man. I don't know I'm why I'm talking so much about dogs. I'm surprised at how expensive dogs are. Oh, and then they eat crap and you got to take them to the dog hospital. It ain't the vet. It's a dog hospital. And you're talking like four figures, man. Yep. You ain't talking no three figures, not a couple hundred dollar. It's four figures. And this dog's already cost four figures. Yep. Yeah. Ate something. And uh, yeah. So anyways. Well, maybe we should get into this week's topic. We probably should. Um, uh, great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Say like you mean it, Pete. Great, Scott. It's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right, that's that's that'll preach. That's something I can get into right there. All right, well, today we're going to talk about uh, church planting drives and burdens. So <clears throat> I want to start off, kick it off with a, a quote from a little man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You might have heard mm-hmm. of him. He uh, was involved in the Operation Valkyrie that was uh, where the briefcase was set. Uh, next to Hitler, not close enough, but it exploded, detonated. He came out, was shook up, and decided to go after every person and their family who was involved. And guess who was in part of that family that was involved was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it was traced back to him because many of the operations, he was a theologian. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, had um, let them use his telephone. It was his brother-in-law, and he let his brother-in-law, who was involved in the plot, at a high level, uh, use his telephone. And so it got traced back to him. 
And uh, he ended up going to a concentration camp. And, um, but he said this, um, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. And I think that, you know, like today, I mean, I've, I've got a daughter in braces and she um, has cerebral palsy and spina bifida, which is what Gary Coleman had. And she goes to school in braces. She just had surgery on Tuesday um, so they can, you know, she loses her range of motion. So not to bum you guys out or anything, but um, what they do is they, you know, she has to go in these braces and they're painful. So because they stretch everything, because everything naturally will just keep tightening up. And so, you know, I, I have these talks, been a rough couple mornings and, you know, I'm outside of her school classroom this morning, crouching down with her, just saying, baby, I, I, one day when you're older, you and I are going to talk about this and you're going to, you're going to tell me, dad, that made me strong and it made me tough. And, and I was just telling her how much I admire her and how she's one of my heroes and here she is, dude, she's this tough little thing, but you know, there were tears and you know, it's, it's hard because you're like, I got to choose between my child being in pain and my child being able to walk. And so, um, but you know that, uh, let me just repeat that. Um, we must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. When I look at my daughter, I look more, I mean, there's a lot she can't do. You know, she has to have a stool that she carries with her all around the house. If she needs to reach something, if she needs to get something out of the fridge, she has to get up on that stool. I mean, the life is tough. There's a lot she can't do, but that girl has been defined by what she suffers. And I think when you look at the apostle Paul, he talks about all this suffering he went through and he, he, he mentions um, that he fills up in his body what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. Um, he talks all about, you know, we didn't suffer all this in vain. It was for you. So suffering becomes a very big part of the theology of the New Testament. Even if you look at the, the uh, black community in America, um, movies like Amistad and, you know, black theologians will tell you that um, much of their theology, um, black theology was born out of suffering, which is ironic considering that um, America nowadays is all about prosperity and this and that. That doesn't produce any character in you whatsoever, but suffering produces character. And the Bible even says, says that, that suffering produces hope and hope produces character. So in all these things, one of the greatest things that Paul actually suffered was his burden for his own people. That's kind of what I want to talk about today is that um, being burdened for a community is a type of suffering. There's, there's a way in which you, um, you can, like when Paul says, you know, I, I have this burden, he says, that I would rather um, be cut off from my people. You know, that was a suffering that Paul carried around, that they might be saved. I would rather, you know, Paul says, I have this burden, I have this suffering. Um, and, uh, you know, when we talk about having a burden for a community, you are suffering for them. You're, you're saying, woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. I mean, Christ's whole mission to us caused him to be a man of suffering, stricken with sorrow, stricken with, afflicted with grief. Um, so, so part of the, um, what's lacking often in the church planning world nowadays is this idea of, I am burdened. Like I would lay my life down. I would die. And Pete, you, you know, because I put it in reaching the unreached, the where I said, well, God just might call you to that. You know, he might, he might actually cause you to die. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary to the Alka Indians and his team of missionaries laid down their lives. And, you know, we have the journals of Jim Elliott. And he even says in there, I'm willing to die for these people if need be. And he did. And after he died, his wife went back with other people and it opened up the gospel. The entire tribe um, came to faith. This is eerie. We've talked about this before, but kind of cool too. the very spear that killed her husband um, she had on the, on the landing in her house. Right. Um, but it was a testimony to what God could do, but he knew what he was getting into. These were cannibals, you know, they, they were cannibals. They ate their enemies. I mean, it was trippy. They were not going to a peaceful tribe, but they were cut off from the Western world. So, um, 
but there, there's a type of burden. And I guess what I was going to say is that what's lacking often in the church planning world is that sense of suffering for the people that you're going to reach. I think church planning in general carries a, a certain degree of suffering with it, much of it self-inflicted, but um, because we're morons and knuckleheads. But at the same time, um, what's often lacking is a planner who just says, I'm here and I'm willing to suffer and struggle and um, lay my life down for this neighborhood. Instead, what you often find is a guy goes, um, yeah, you know, I kind of, I'm, I want to go in and they, they pick some hipster neighborhood, you know, we want to share the love of Jesus there and we want to, and it's often very cavalier. It's often very, they just, what, what they're really saying is, I think it'd be neat to have a hipster church there. Or I think, sorry, I won't pick on the hipsters, but I think it'd be, it would, you know, to them, it just sounds like a good idea. Like it would be a neat neighborhood to plant in, which is very different than being burdened for a particular type of person or a particular location and actually being burdened. So <clears throat> one of the one of the things that I have a, a, a problem with, and I don't want to pick on anyone here, but I often have a problem with the way that we um, train planters. And because sometimes the way we, we train them is we start off with, um, you know, what's your mission and what's your vision and what's all this. And we try to get them to divorce what I'm talking about from things like mission. And so where I actually start with planners is I try to find out what their drive is. What's driving you to plant in this neighborhood? Um, because when I know what the planner's driven by, if, if the planner's driven um, by feeling they're pretty talented and after all, shouldn't a room full of people be listening to them talk, that's going to tell me what kind of, what kind of church they're going to plant, right? But if what they're driven by is, you know, um, no, th these people need Jesus and they're dying, um, I, that was, that was huge to me planting, you know, like I have to do this. I have to go into, um, into this, this neighborhood. I have to do this. And, you know, it's funny cause you know, I was, I was a firefighter for almost four years and there's not much difference between when a fire is raging and you know that there's possibly people in a building. Um, I, I felt that feeling. I have to go in that building. I have to rescue humans out of this building. I know what that feels like. And I, I think, you know, for us as gospel ministers, to a certain degree, there ought to be, if, if you don't feel something akin to that for people, you may not be called to ministry. You're definitely not called to plan a church. Does that make sense? Yeah, I remember... Years ago, <clears throat> at one of the exponential conferences where we were interviewing, and we weren't supposed to be interviewing people, <laughs> um, we interviewed Jeff Vanderstelt, and um, he was up in Seattle, or at least was at the time. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He still is. Yeah, he's um, he's now at Mark Driscoll's old church. It's been renamed Doxa, and it's a it's a big church. So he doesn't. I don't think he's doing Soma anymore. Maybe he is. Maybe it's part of Soma now. I don't know. But I remember when we were interviewing him for the magazine, um, he started to crack and started to, to actually cry in the middle of the interview as he was thinking about the people that he was reaching in Seattle. And I remember that always struck me. I was like, wow, dude. I mean, we're just doing this interview. And like, he's so moved, so burdened. Yeah, for the people that he's trying to reach that it's affecting him even now, just thinking about them. You know, and I, I want to give a, a shout out to a book. He's no longer in church planning um, anymore, but he wrote an excellent book. It was Michael Cheshire wrote a book um, about it how to knock over a 7-Eleven. Such a good book. And such other, a good church planning book. What was the whole title? How to knock over a 7-Eleven and something? Other Lessons in Church Planning. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it was a great title. He self-published it. If you can get a hold of it, it was really good. Um, he, uh, he, was, um, he talks in there about how they, 
they, um, when they went to Colorado, they had to make money, right? And they're like, so we started doing apartment cleanouts. And he goes, the funny thing about an apartment cleanout is that Explain you Explain what an apartment clean-out is for people Apartment clean-out is when someone suddenly has to, they get evicted and they leave a bunch of crap behind. So it's not just apartments. It was also homes because this is foreclosure time back right. in the day. Uh, it's, that's, that's true. So, so they, he formed a company where people would call them up and they would come haul, you know, when people had to leave or whatever, they'd haul the way. And he said you would find evidence of like you would find things like wedding rings and pictures and, you know, notes written, like kind of like that Eagle song in the New York minute, you know, baby, please come home. You know, you would, you'd find all this evidence of devastation in people's lives. And he goes, and the thing was, is here we were doing this because we needed money, but it was giving us this like backstage view into the brokenness of people's lives. And it created a burden in him to um, plant in that neighborhood. And if you, if you get a chance, guys, that's one of the books I'd highly recommend. Um, but I think, um, I, I think that, you know, when you look at the burden and drives, the way I think of the drives is kind of like that old John Godfrey Sachs poem, blind men in the elephant. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that poem before, but it's the one where the guy, you know, you say, uh, uh, you know, we're all holding a different part of the elephant. Well, there's a, it's actually based on that poem. And so <laughs> I'll, I'll read you it quickly uh, off my notes here. That's that weird thing that goes down the track. Can you hear that? What is it? It's a, it's like some car that goes and cleans the tracks. It's like a truck. It's got something. Is on it, it, is it like a flatbed and there's a guy on one side and guy on the other and they're like moving the little bar up and down? <laughs> yeah. Wearing overalls of, of with a hillbilly beard. Um, and a little yeah. moonsh- a bottle of moonshine on the back. Yeah, corner. yeah. And there and there's a train coming quick behind him, and they got to go super fast to get away. Oh man, too many cartoons. So uh, the the poem goes: It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see an elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. And so it's that whole thing that each, each guy's holding a different part of it. And it's long, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, read the all, but I'll, I'll read, you know, it says, and so these men of innocent disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong, moral. So often theologic wars, the disputants I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean and prayed about an elephant. Not one of them has seen. Just so good. But, um, Here's the thing is that no matter how many books or philosophies, whatever you read on church planning, um, you come at church planning from the direction you come at it at. That, that's the whole point. No two people come at it alike because I don't think people have the same burden for the same um, community. <clears throat> and so, um, for example, I, uh, when I talk about the drives, I, I connect them back to the APES. And the APES, if you don't know, is apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, uh, teacher, and uh, shepherd. So when you're looking at the APES, I believe that, that like those six men, that, about, that there are five different ways to approach the elephant in church planning. You can approach it apostolically. You can approach it as a prophet. You can approach it. So because I believe in team planting, I don't believe just the apostle approaches church plant. When you have a core team, you're approaching it from different angles. So um, your team will have a different drive based on the makeup of the APEST leadership that you have. They better start moving that little bar back and forth really Dude, that quick. Thing, that's the fast one. That thing was moving. So, uh, the other day I hear this crack and I feel this kaboom, like my building shaking. Something obviously hit my building. Kids out there were like putting pieces of wood and crap on the tracks to try to break it. And so, uh, yeah, those are the kids shooting BBs at my house. So I decided, you know, I'll sit this one out, but, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna go get them. You know, if that was my house, I'd be like, kid, I don't have BBs. You sure you want to play that game? <laughs> 
So anyways, uh, so here's, here's the deal, right? So the thing is, is that you can be driven by a couple different things. If I break down the APEST, right? I'd say the teacher is driven by theology. The um, uh, shepherd is driven by ecclesiology. The prophet is driven by pneumatology, which means, you know, the Holy Spirit. Eschatology is um, the apostle, and I'll get to all this, but um, each one of them is driven by different things. So, for example, when you speak to a planner, they don't go, here's my diagram with my values and my mission and my measures of success. And not to bag on that, because I, I used to train that because that was my job, but uh, planners never talk like that. You talk to a planner, this is, this is what they're going to say, and, and see if you can figure out which of these that I just listed. Man, people don't know how to worship God. Churches are dead, and I want to see a place where God's majesty is felt and known when you come through the door. So out of apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher, evangelist, which, which do you think? So let me read it again. People don't know how to worship God. Churches are dead, and I want to go to a place where majest, God's majesty is felt. His presence is there when you walk through the door. What does that sound like? Mm, prophet, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, that would be the prophetic drive. He's more concerned that God's presence and power is felt, right? That people experience God himself. That's a prophetic drive. And of course, when you have movements like uh, Vineyard or, you know, some of these, boom, you know, like that's why they plant those churches, you know, because they want that. Okay, here's another one. I don't think we're meant to be staring at the back of people's heads. Now, I, I'm apostolic and I say that, but... I'm, I'm putting my voice in another role. I don't think we're meant to be staring at the back of people's heads. Church should be a place where we all contribute and become family. I just want to start a community. Uh, community? I'd say shepherd. Yeah, that's a shepherding drive. And so, you know, when, when you go down to all these, all these different roles, each one is, but you know, planners talk like this for me, you know, I come in and I'll be like, I want to do two things. I want to reach a lost, you know, and I want to um, glorify Christ. But if you talk to me at Long Beach, I had another drive and that was to plant more churches out of that one. That was, was just a springboard. So an apostle is eschatologically driven. And what I mean by eschatologically is the eschatological drive is to see the kingdom expanded. So apostolics, they always are about the expansion of the border of the kingdom. And the reason you call eschatological is because eschatology has to do with when when um, the kingdom of God spreads all over the earth, Christ comes back and takes his kingdom, right? Which uh, is, is at cross purposes with popular end times theology. I get it, but you know, the Bible often is. Um, but anyways, the missiological driven is the evangelist. He's all about mission, mission, get, get the gospel, gospel, gospel. So, and of course, all of these are an outworking of what, G I mean, Jesus was all of these, right? Like if you go back to his ministry, Jesus had aspects of, of all of these um, types of ministry. He would, he wanted people to know the spirit. He says, I will send the spirit after I rise. I have to do this because he will come and I will send him. And um, he talked about the kingdom of God. Uh, he went and preached the gospel like an evangelist. Um, and he said, I'm the good shepherd. And of course, he starts a community of 12 around him. He founds the church. Um, he's theologically driven. Um, he's constantly teaching, yada, yada. You want him done it. You have heard it was said, but I tell you, so he's always, you know, establishing a right theology and a right way to think about God. So Jesus was driven by all of these things. So it's not like you got to pick one. I mean, hopefully you have this makeup in your church. You don't need five separate ministries, but that's, that's the burden. So when I come in, I bring my burden to the table for my team. And I don't say, hey, whoa, 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 don't you be bringing that theological or, you know, don't you be bringing those drives in here. We're driven by this. No, they, they should all be there. And part of the problem is that sometimes a team um, doesn't have all of these represented and, and, and you don't have to, but just just be aware of it. You're not going to always have all five of these types of team members with you. Um, but when you do, you're going to be, you're going to be more balanced as a church, right? If you just have a teacher, he'll be like this, oh, you know, man, um, uh, people don't really understand good theology and I'm going to bring that to the mix and all becomes about theology. Theology takes a front seat. 
it's not, I mean, theology is very important, but you know, you would have Mark Driscoll, Tim Keller, or Acts 29 Network. Uh, that would be an example of that, is they would lead by theology. Um, and, 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 you know, praise God, because that changes a lot of things and makes a lot of other things possible. But you don't want any of these to be on their own um, for any length of time, because it will also bring its own weaknesses. But um, anyways, uh, they'll focus on the scripture like, you, you know, you and I met at a word based theologically driven. I mean, Calvary Chapel, if nothing else, was a um, theologically driven church plant. They just wanted people to know the word. I work for a theologically driven organization right now called Through the Word. Um, and that, that's extremely important. But, um, but, but wait, there's more, right? So, um, anyways, uh, and that's, that's too deep for this. I was gonna, I was gonna go a little bit deeper on that, but I'm gonna skip that. Um, but anyways, so as you look at all of these, uh, the shepherd's gonna want community. The prophet is gonna want, um, more of the spirit and his power and presence, more of the gifts. And so as you're looking at your team, um, you've got to look at the drives. You've got to also recognize what's your drive. So if I asked you today, planner who's listening, um, why do you want to go into that neighborhood? Why do you, why do you want to plant there? Um, you're going to have one of these and it's going to look differently. It should have two elements. It should have the element where you're passionate about doing something but it should also have, so like there's the, you know, from my end, I am passionate about this. That's your drive. But on the other end, there's also the need. And that is um, the people that you're talking to. So if I'm going to say, well, I really want people to know good theology and I'm a teacher getting ready to plant. Um, what am I going to do? Like, who are the people on the other end of that? Are we in a, a, a part like, are we going to hit obstacles? Like I'm a teacher and I can't wait for people to get into theology, but um, you know, kids don't read past the second grade, you know, like we've talked about where that in inner city neighborhoods becomes uh, a big problem. And they say that becomes the number one determining factor of whether or not they'll see the inside of, of, you know, a uh, prison for, for a good chunk of their life. So, so you got to say, well, if I'm driven by that, then my mission has to come out of that. I've got to do something about this other thing first as well to effectively minister to these people. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, we're running out of time. I'm looking at the clock and I'm realizing that we are running out of time, but those drives are important and that's what actually drives a planter. Um, so if you have a theologically uh, driven teacher, he's going to have a word-based church. If you have an ecclesiastically driven shepherd, he's going to most likely plant a house church. If you have a missiologically uh, driven evangelist, I always say that evangelists don't have an off switch, right? They're going to go, 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 go. And they usually build mega churches. Their, their drive is like unstoppable, right? And they whip everyone around them into a frenzy to get her done, you know? And then the pneumatologically driven prophet is going to, he's going to plant a Pentecostal charismatic type church. Eschatologically um, driven apostolic planters are going to plant multiplying churches. So they're going to plant churches that always have an eye towards planting outwards. So, um, so those things are good, you know, but that's, that's how it works, Pete, out there in the real world. Well, I think a question that a lot of people probably have is, you know, let's say they're a shepherd and um, they need to plant a church. Who can help them with their payroll and their uh, IRS compliance? I'm glad you, and not just because that's not Steve. their strength. That's not their strength. Now I'm glad you asked, and not just shepherds, but also teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles. Pete could be helped by an organization called Simplify Church. Wait, wait. Let me simplifychurch.com, or is that a dot org? What, yeah, what is that? yeah. No, Pete. It's simplifychurch.com. You oh. hit it right. It's almost it's almost like it's intrinsic to you. Like you're driven to that website, and that that is it's just so natural. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Simplifychurch.com. I still remember when Josh he first came to us, and his company was Axis Network. He's like, "That's such a stupid name. No one knows what it is." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, Axis Network. What are you like an ISP? What is this?" He's like, "We actually simplify church." Man, oh, I should rip him off. You know, you I go. run 
I run New Breed Network. I should I should call it SimplifyChurchPlanning.com. Is it available? I'm getting on GoDaddy <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes. I think I found a better domain name this this week though. Which SimplifyPlanting.com. Simplify SimplifyChurchPlanting.com. Just take out the church. SimplifyPlanting.com. It could go anywhere. If it doesn't work with church planting, I'll just sell it to the garden people. It's a garden business. (laughs) Simplify planting. It's a garden self-help. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us today for the Church Planting Podcast. I've been Peyton Jones, as usual. Planter Podcast, not planting. Did I say that? That's a different podcast. Don't don't promote that. We should just claim we're both. You know, that podcast, by the way, Clint Clifton, he did say, you know, you guys had such a good name. I was like, what if I were the church planting podcast? It worked for them. That's how that happened. Which is actually a better name because that's what people type into Apple when they're searching. Well, that's why we started hardcore church planting, which still that's exists. True. I was just looking at it this week and I'm going, dang, man, that, it's just sitting there all happy, yep. getting all fat and sassy. <laughs> So, hey, uh, this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Take care, guys. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music